Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. With me today are two of my regular panel. First, we have Three Moves Ahead founder and Drinky McDrinky Pants, Troy Goodfellow. Troy, welcome to the show. Glad you could make it. <laughs> I am not that drunk. Just drunk enough. Uh, we also welcome, of course, uh, freelance writer Julian Rabbit Murdoch. Stone cold sober and with an iron mind ready to go. Well, I hope you have something on hand to solve the sobriety problem. Uh, <laughs> and I don't just mean designer Rob Davio. Rob, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. Also sober so far. Oh, and I'm sorry, I forgot to. I'm, you're not just designer Rob Davio. You're Ironwall Games designer mm-hmm. Rob CEO. Davio. CEO, president, um, accountant. <laughs> photocopier mail clerk yep do it all mail prostitute no don't do that <laughs> so uh you know today we're going to be talking about you know for for lack of a better word uh social strategy games and that's a really broad topic and it's going to be hard to define but what, I, what i'm trying to sort of get at and, and look at are, are games that encourage uh, the games that are really good with with uh, larger groups of people and encourage a lot of uh, you know uh, interpersonal interaction uh, and I you know honestly part of this is just coming out of uh, again like so many topics lately is coming out of the uh, Paradox Convention in Iceland uh, where the last game I played uh, was a three in the morning game of resistance with like seven people and you know what I came away from resistance mulling over, and I feel this way about a lot of games in the space, I'd say, is that with Resistance in particular, every time I play it, I'm like, you know, this isn't a brilliant game. It's... So, so you, so to be to be clear, because that's a really generic title, you mean The Resistance, which is like the card game Find the Traitor? Yes. Yeah. It, it is okay. not a good, it's not a very well-designed game. Well, but with the right people, continue... well no okay but i i think right there there's the pro there's the problem i was actually i was i was after the game i was talking to uh, the escapist greg tito when we were were chatting about this because yeah the game has obvious issues it's it's not balanced at all um can you really strategize for it really it's just everybody shooting blindly in the dark about trying to guess uh who is a traitor and who is not uh and yet every time i play this game i have an absolute ball uh, it is one of the most reliable, um, you know, party games I, I, I think in in anyone's inventory. If you bring it out, everyone's going to have a great time. Everyone's going to be better friends uh, by the end of it, even though they spent the last hour accusing each other and stabbing each other in the back. And so, you know, on the one hand, I do feel like, oh, this isn't that good a game. But can I really say that about a game that provides so much reliable enjoyment, though? No, yeah, you can't say that. <laughs> you yes, no, yes, I... you can't say that. You can say that's not a well-balanced game. You can say that, but if the experience is what really defines the game, right? If the experience is a good time. Yeah, I mean, this is a, we've mentioned a lot in the podcast. We've talked about how, you know, you can have a really good time doing playing a really bad game with people. Right. If people you like playing game with or who get into it, who enjoy it. And that doesn't, that's, make, that's make the game better. Right. But... It's kind of this borderline thing, which is a badly designed game. It really is a badly designed game. Well, it's a it's a folk game. It, it it's a folk game in the yes. in the in yeah, the line sure. of werewolf and mafia and any number yes. of games designed for parties where you sort of separate the group into the good guys and the bad guys, and the good guys' job is to ferret out the bad guys. And there's a whole variety of games like this. Resistance puts a few little rules around it. <clears throat> there's actually yeah. another version that I have called Resistance Avalon, which adds a couple more rules to it and starts making it even a little more like Werewolf, which is really where this comes from. But the yeah. core idea is you take a group of people and you have some way of designating, in this case, cards, who's a good guy and who's a bad guy. And then there's a set of interactions that supposedly give you information to go on to deduce who the good guys and the bad guys are. And the goal of the good guys in both Werewolf and in the Resistance is to effectively wipe out the good guys. And the role of the good guys is to find the bad guys. And the reason these kinds of games work is because of the game you bring to the table that isn't in the box, right? It's the social interaction of the people in the room. And frankly, it's the history of the people in that room. If you play this game with 10 people who have never met each other, I actually don't think it's a particularly good icebreaker because 
Because then yeah. you're down to what what are the rules and what's the system, and the system doesn't actually really encourage interaction. You can just sort of mechanically go through it, staring at the table and never looking at anybody. Um, if you play this game with 10 people who know each other, then you immediately sit there and say, well, Rob always, you know, Rob's a terrible liar, and he always does this when he's trying to get away with something. Who, who, are, the, who are the friendships? What is, what is the history going on here? Yes, absolutely. Well, I think that kind of defines the the topic we're talking about today, which is social games rely more on who is playing more so than other games. Yeah. Right. I could sit right. down and play any number of these Euro games with per- complete strangers and have a similar experience. I'd rather play with friends, but the game would carry the social dynamics. In the space we're talking about today, the social dynamics is the primary factor and the game supports that. So, you know, it's not unlike poker. You're in these these games like the resistance, you're looking for people's tells. Right, so you spend a lot of time right. talking and pushing and joking and looking for the, hey, he looked away when I said that and he looked over at Rabbit. So those two are, you know, you start making social connections off of people's personalities and tells. Right, right. Well, you also you also misread the stuff, which is the best part of it, that you will interpret history that isn't there. Sure, it's a is, Skinner box. It's yeah, well, it's just that the right word. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is maybe this not. Entire world sure of. Not believed experience which may not or may which may exist or may not uh, you look at things like um i mean Battlestar galactica i think is the best example of this a game where it's all about who is a liar who is a traitor and you will have well this person will not betray their spouse because they're their spouse and they have to carry this beyond this game but no husbands and wives lie to each other all the time <laughs> and we'll continue well, and it's okay this. in a game you'd be an awful game player if you can't you know play right. the role and, but, because but your people, wife's playing but people outside of that who walk into it will might not experience that might not understand that right. and social games have this entirely weird dynamic based on who is playing and who is not um i mean i love the games where you have this sort of confused mechanic where you have the social world meeting the game world and you don't see that as often that i mean Rob, you and I played this this March of the Eagle stuff. I mean, I knew you, and you and I had our own thing going on. But I also knew all. I knew Paul, and you knew Paul, and I knew Joe, and you knew Joe. And there were all these other weird things going on in the game where we had to. I had to guess what other shit you had going on, constantly, which made a multiplayer game better. And I think this is one of the things so many strategy multiplayer games struggle with on the computer world. The PC world, it's not, I'm not sorry, for the board game world, it's not a, as much an issue because you have the physical space constraining that. You're generally always playing with people you know in the physical space. So you know their history, you know their lives. The PC world, it takes on a different atmosphere. Like, do I really know what somebody is actually up to if I only know them from emails? or texts or Twitter. To, to my mind, the two, the two mechanics, right, the two st- strategic mechanics that really only work in these kinds of so, in these social situations and, and frankly are generally impossible to do well, say, with an AI, um, are uh, being the, the traitor mechanic where yep. so, you, know, you know somebody is or maybe somebody is working against you, but you don't know who, and there's a deductive part of the game. Um, and the other one is diplomacy, and we had we've had I think multiple shows at this point talking about uh, you know a lot of the failure of AI diplomacy and how uh, real diplomacy when you get a bunch of people in a room, you know, around a you know maybe the titular board game of the same name, or whether it's you know just trying to negotiate turns uh, for an online game. Uh, those things I think really do. They thrive when you've got that kind of social interaction. I mean, I envy the people who, uh, you know, have a a monthly diplomacy group that, you know, gets together and meets. I don't. Well, no, because that kind of shared experience over time. I think is really interesting. You know, I'm, I'm lucky enough that I have a semi-regular poker game that I go yeah. to. And, and the, the, I, you know, I, while I enjoy poker and I enjoy the fact that my friends are bad at it, um, mostly I'm going there because it's, you know, you're building these stories about the time so-and-so got away with a great bluff or screwed this other guy or, you know, check raised or something like that. And, and diplomacy mechanics are the ones I think that do that the best. Yeah. I mean, I mean, when I said I don't envy them, it's because I'm awful at the game and it stresses me out completely. Not that I think it's a bad idea. I mean, it's a game with zero luck and it's your ability to just bluff, lie and cheat. 
and I just lose every time because I just get so stressed out. I like just have a meltdown, you know, in like my third turn and, and roll just, over. just stab everyone. Like, I just can't take this. <laughs> I need to be in the corner I drinking. Take the pressure. I I'd be the worst diplomat ever. So here's the thing. And I, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't played enough diplomacy to have observed many games of it. My question is this, because I've always heard like diplomacy in particular has a knack for leaving people uh, kind of pissed at each other. Uh, oh, yeah. That uh, a, a diplomacy game starts all in good fun and everything, every, you know, everyone's in on the backstabbing. It's all cool, but I, I've heard many, many stories of sessions that just kind of turn sour uh, as as things, uh, you know, take a dark turn. It's like it's Survivor, right? I think it's effectively impossible unless you're playing with people who are just terrible at games writ large. It is very difficult, if not impossible, to win that game. And never lie and never screw anyone over. Oh, no, you have to. I mean, I mean it's, it's, it's fundamental to the way the game is made is that you are going to be in an alliance and you are going to play brinksmanship on when to break that alliance and screw your neighbor that has helped you get through half the game. Yeah. Um, and it's it's much, I mean, the, the, the most recent example of a game, I think, that boiled that betrayal down to the nut was DEFCON. Right? Because again, that's a right. game that's very difficult to win if you play it solo. That only that game only works when you're you know you're in a five player game and you're making alliances and you choose just the right moment to turn on your neighbor. Yeah, I mean, and that moment is the one turn before he would have turned on you. Exactly, and that's like <laughs> right. If you do it at the Bring same time, to. you both lose. If you do it a turn late, you lose. If you do it too early, no yep. one trusts you. You have to do it that exact turn. And Rob, I think your point of why diplomacy gets so personal is one there's no luck so you can never fall back and be like i had all my plans but this card you know the one in a hundred chance didn't come through you have no excuses and two it takes a long time it's a big investment right if if you seven hours if you play a hand of poker and someone bluffs you you've you know besides provided you haven't mortgaged your house or something like that you've had a one minute experience and you move on and you move on if you're in hour five and you're going to stab someone on the next turn and win the game and they stab you and you're out of the game after five hours, you're, you have so much investment. And, it, and it's an elimination game, which I think is important too. Right? Yeah. Games where you invest five hours and then literally go sit in the corner and wait to see who won. Hey, pizza monkey, <laughs> yeah. go get our pizza. <laughs> well, you know, and something else, I was, I was sort of thinking about how, like, in our March of the Eagles game, for instance, there were tons of betrayals. But I feel like, um, in part because it's, in part because it's so much easier to hide information in a PC game where everyone's playing remotely and can only see what you know the parts of the fog of war that have been lifted for them. Um, it you know it's it's a game that well first of all it's just a hell of a lot easier to uh, you know administer you know it doesn't it, yeah but but I I think more importantly though is that it's a game that the betrayals are definitely a part of it but they are not the whole story like when someone really plants the dagger in your back. For Mercy Eagles, I mean, what somebody else is going for is completely transparent. You click on the diplomatic menu, and then what their goals are. And you know what land targets they're shooting for, what sea targets they're shooting for. This is not a great secret. So it's what you can afford to give away, what you can't afford to give away. Which is why I can afford to, in the game we played, just beat the crap out of Sweden and hope for it. And... uh, on the other side, make deals with Austria. It is what matters to me in one country and not for another. This is what makes, I think, a really good uh, group strategy game is the idea of what can I afford to pay off? Uh, and who can I have, who, who's going to make this trade? Who is smart enough to make this trade, from my perspective? Uh, it is not necessarily an idea of pure cost-benefit, but... Uh, perspective, a subjective cost-benefit. Now, what's the... I haven't played March of the Eagles. I know, theoretically, you can toss 32 people on a land and play this thing. I mean, what's the actual playtime and the the true number of players that makes sense for? Really, it's seven or eight, I would think. Yeah, seven or eight players, and in terms of actual playtime, it depends. If the game goes the distance, like if it's decided not on... If nobody completes the victory conditions and the game is decided on time and prestige accumulated, uh, I would say the game can easily run about like 12 hours across different sessions. Well, well, but that's depending on how fast you set the clock, right? Right, we've been playing a fairly slow game. 
so yeah, I mean, definitely, it, it definitely requires some organizing. Um, and we did we did we did a whole show on it uh, last week, uh, talking about uh, how the game works. But uh, you know, I I think as Paradox game games go, it makes the most sense for uh you know to to, to play multiplayer. It has some of these great board game mechanics. Uh, so I mean, it's it, it's definitely a time commitment, uh, but. I I feel in part because there's there's so many other things in play just beyond deceiving people and screwing them over. Yeah. That the that the game has momentum. You know, it's not like you know someone does a heel turn and that's it. You're out of the game. Great. No. Now you have to go get pizza. Uh, it's you know if you lose, you're going to lose slowly as your powers eroded for session over after session. To an extent. I mean, if you look at in our game like like in Prussia. In Prussia, it's a total heel turn. We screwed Prussia, Rob. You and I completely hosed Joe. He did it, but he did it to himself. I, I just feel like this was a case. It, it was an interesting situation where, uh, again, sort of people making decisions based on the people they're playing with rather than strictly like it's not like an AI would decide. No. Like Joe like the person playing Prussia was making the calculation that there's no way this alliance against him could sustain itself and eventually it would collapse and he just had to hold out for that. But he didn't realize that it was it, it was stable enough for us to rip him apart uh before you know, but before turning each other and so he just gambled wrong and uh took himself out of the game. But so I I I I definitely feel uh, that you know it it was a situation where people are sort of guessing about the temperament of the people they're playing with rather than you know looking at the board basically and saying well clearly the rational decision and, here is and get and out. you know after all this investment in time did it get to that sense of you know the fist fight level I mean you you know you talk about diplomacy being famous for engendering fist fights among grognards. Uh, Risk 2210, another one of Rob's game, was a game where I've just had... There are people I won't play it with again. It's so much anger in that game. (laughs) I feel bad. For making it? Yeah. You should. So many stories of people who are like, this game ruined my game group. Wait, does does 2210 do something different from Legacy in terms of engendering bad blood? Yeah, it's five turns. You get five turns. So it's five meaty turns, and then you score... So if someone turns around and betrays you on turn three, which is an hour and a half in, you realize you can't recover. So it, it kind of distills it down. I mean, Craig and I, the, the, my co-designer, we got in a fight playtesting it where we didn't <laughs> talk to each other for a day. I, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's that time compression thing. You, you only have five things you can do. Now, or five turns. Now, in a turn, you can do a lot of stuff, but each one counts so much. And the thing about that game that gets people is if on turn three, you just kind of stab me. And it's not a game-winning move for you. If it's a game-winning move, I'll be like, oh, I didn't see that coming. I'm mad good play. But a lot of times people do something like, why did you do that? Like, I don't know. I just kind of wanted to knock you down a peg. with you. Yeah, Yeah. and it's like, so now you've kept me from winning without you winning. So now I'm just going to make sure you don't win either. (laughs) And we're just going to spiral down a pit, punching each other. So was that kind of, I mean, did did March of the Eagles inspire that kind of, uh, you know, righteous hatred? No, I, I, I don't. It, it no, we there there are lingering resentments and grudges, but not hatred. <laughs> like no one wants Rob to play France ever again. That 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 is true. Uh, I, I I do I do uh, roll pretty heavy when uh, I'm I'm uh, commanding from Paris, but <laughs> no, I, I I think part of it is. That transparency issue Troy brought up earlier is the fact that everyone knows the score. You know what I mean? Like when someone when someone screws you over, you had to know it was coming. You knew they'd have to make this decision eventually. So it's just you guessed wrong about the timing. You know, it's like it's like if Hitler and Stalin had a heart to heart about Barbarossa. You know, like <laughs> eventually it'd be like you know I was going to attack you in 1942. Like if I'm being honest, like it'd be that sort of thing, right? It was, it, it's, and I, and I think something similar is going on in March of the Eagles, where it's it, it's like a mob war, you know? Like these are the rules, these are the objectives, and so all that happened there was the betrayal happened a little bit sooner than you thought. But the other thing, the other thing too, I think is you know, like when you were talking about risk twenty two ten. It's the fact that these betray the, the game is so compressed and the betrayals can be so complete and co- like game destroying for someone yep. that there's no recourse. And in March of the Eagles, once a betrayal happens, chances are, unless you really kind of have have your your back is really against the wall, 
in which case you were doomed anyway, you still probably have recourse to your armies. And you have time to try to get the other players to rally to your side and get the balance of power redistributed. And so it's not like, oh, I got betrayed. I guess I just have to sit there and take it. Immediately you have things you can do. And I think something that happens maybe a little more in the board game space, just because they tend to be a little compressed and uh, a little simplified, you know, it is just that, okay, you got betrayed. Uh, congratulations, that's your game. Like, just stew yeah. over it now. Spend the rest <laughs> yeah. of the evening drinking some, quietly. Some games bring it out more than others. Uh, Twenty-two ten, and I just some game. You know, like, hey, that's my fish. It's a very simple game that's cutthroat. Like you look at, you're like, oh, this is a cute game, and then it, and you don't know this game. So it's a game where you all play penguins, penguins on an ice floe. But if you think about it more being like Tron light cycles right. than penguins, <laughs> like. I'm going to go forward and then cut you off. And then like, so you've got this giant ice flow, but every time you move, you remove a piece of the ice flow. But you basically want to carve it so you have the largest ice flow. So you're just kind of carving up this territory and things. And it's very childlike theme. And it's, it's zero. I think what a lot of these things have in common is there's zero sum games. If I have it, you don't. Yes. Right? There's, right. No, there's no Euro game mechanic of, you know, we're all playing our own little game and maybe you did something I wanted to do. Uh, this is like every, every single piece of territory you're taking is territory you had to get out of the hands of somebody else yeah. effectively and but the thing is like you betray people all the time but i, I think it's the time invested versus the screwage that that makes a difference because it's it's a 10 minute game you know so you could have that move that just takes you out of the game but you're like all right whatever i played we'll for play, six minutes we'll play it again we'll play it again yeah. or all right good move right and you're mad but i mean hopefully you're not table flipping mad right over hey that's my fish i i also find that that for any kind of social game um, the more it encourages even just the slightest bit of role playing, the better it works, right? And so, uh, you know, part of the reason I think the resistance can fall flat is there's no real sense of what what you're doing, right? It's just oh, I'm the good guy, I'm the bad guy, and we're going on some missions, and but there's the theming on it is so light that the investment level seems very low. Whereas in Battlestar Galactica. You know, if you're a fan of the show and, you know, you sort of get the mythos and you get everything that's going on, it's much more easy to get into the role of like, this is what I'm doing. And and I have a feeling like even in playing something like Diplomacy or you guys talking about uh, with March of the Eagles, right, getting to be France, you can do a little bit of role playing with. Well, so actually that point about the resistance is a really good one. This is something I should have brought up about that game I played at ParadoxCon. Uh, what we did actually... You cosplayed, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> Very close. The house rule was whoever was handing out the mission, whoever's the resistance cell leader for that round, you had to describe the mission, what your goal would be. And so the first person's like, okay, we're going to kill an informant, whatever. But the next person is like, all right, we're going to send a team of elite commandos out to steal D Dean Wormer's car. <laughs> and drive it to Mexico for a crazy party weekend. And so the entire game became, a, like, our theme basically basically turned into Animal House. <laughs> and the Resistance Cell was the fraternity, and the the uh, the, the informers uh, were, were working for the for the school administration. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, and so it was actually, that was actually, you know, it, it's an interesting point you bring that up, because actually I think that made it much more fun, and we got to know each other better just by the completely unrelated thematic BS we were spouting uh, before and after every mission. Yeah, but it gives context and it makes a big difference. I'm a big role playing, you know, person and story person. But if you weren't playing the math anymore. You weren't playing the I forget the you know five red cards yeah. versus two blue cards, and you know you're you're playing a story. And since it's a social game about how people are going to react, it just gives you something to hang on to, some you know some context. Right. right. Animal House being a brilliant addition, especially that's, in, that is in Iceland. Genius. Animal House in Iceland? Yeah. That's pretty genius. Dean Wormer's car. <laughs> yeah, Iceland was a scary country. I don't <laughs> I, I, I don't recommend it uh, after dark. So you don't recommend it from November through February, I guess, is the... Yeah, well, just uh, just uh, not, not on Friday and Saturday nights. Okay. Uh, the 12-hour the Friday and Saturday nights. There are good but, people when they're not... Busy. When they're not having Viking battles in the streets, yes. Or the bathrooms. Uh, but I, I, I will say, um, 
So, I mean, a lot of, a lot of what we focused on here is, uh, you know, sort of betrayal mechanics and stabbing each other in the back. And I guess when I think about, like, party games, that's mostly what, I, what I'm thinking about. Like, Cash and Guns is basically another game of uh, diplomacy at gunpoint. Well, it's, co- it's, it's, it's a cooperative competition, though, right? I mean, you can't get to where you want to go unless you ride with somebody else. And I think this is kind of the beauty of... Uh, the really good cooperative competitive PC games, like many of the great multiplayer strategy games and games, uh, board games like, you know, Diplomacy or Republic of Rome uh, that require you to make deals kind of off the table where you um, have to accept that to advance your goals. You need to have somebody else go along with you. Now, these aren't mass party games. I mean, these aren't like you're not going to have a bunch of people playing Republic of Rome. The max is six. And, but still, this is this type of game where you have to understand who you are working with and where your cooperation uh, matters much more than your competition does. It's not just who you hate, it's who you can trust. And this is what it makes a really good cooperative competitive game. And, and I think you kind of just highlighted that there's a lot of different segments we can get into within this because you ha- games can be more social because individually you're weak, but collectively you're strong. So you end up with these different right. shifting factions. You could have a game that really focuses focus on the social thing by having a lot of trading and negotiating. Right. right? So, I mean, that's part of why people still like Settlers of Catan is because the social part of like getting, getting along is good, but then people who get really cutthroat about it never trade with anybody. Right. And then, but, but, you know... The, the, the trading thing Catan is kind of different, though, compared to games like Diplomacy or uh, Republic of Rome or even uh, March of the Eagles, where it's not just that I'm giving you a marginal advantage now. It's, okay, I'm giving you the chance to get one of your goals. I'm not just giving you, like, a wool. I'm giving you a chance to well, give you, you a victory, a victory condition. Well, yeah, but the will can lead to a victory condition. Well, well what I'm trying to say I is, there's, right. I think every tabletop game has a social component. Even when people play in chess tournaments, they do all sorts of psychological stuff about how they sit and making the chair squeak and the height of the pieces and crap like that. It, it's all there. It's how does it, when does it become bigger than the, the game itself? So, I mean, Rob, it's interesting. You keep calling them party games and coming from the mass market thing. Party games are uh, taboo, right? Pictionary. Yeah. Pictionary. Those are party games. They're like when you talk about that, which is, Games where you really don't care if someone wins or loses. It's just about getting wine to shoot out your wife's nose or something, right? That's like. <laughs> well, well, let's talk about that. That's kind of an important. I mean, they're not necessarily strategy games, but they're really games about reading about who you're playing with and who you're playing against, right? I mean, what some, I mean, Will and Grace is not a great sitcom, but. My favorite parts of Will and Grace were... Did I black out at wow. some point? Wait a minute, what are we doing here? <laughs> Trust right. me. No, no, come on, he's going somewhere. I'm going... My, what the, one of the best parts of Will and Grace were where Will and Grace, the characters, would have their, their, their game nights against their friends, and they would demonstrate their connection to each other through how they mastered games like Pictionary. Yep. How they knew each other, they understood the strategy, the lingo, what each other was interested in through their mastery of this game. Yeah, it's true. And I've worked on a number of these sort of party games where you have to come up with a victory condition, but you kind of know it's not necessarily a victory condition, but just an end condition. Yes. Right? That people are going to get, oh, oh, you won, right? But it's really about, more so than anything else, the experience of playing it, not necessarily leading towards victory. And some people are very competitive and they do it, but it's very different to design these games. I find it very difficult to do because you want people doing an activity that's fun, but if I just do that activity over and over again, it loses its fun. But if you start varying it and putting more rules in, now it becomes strategic. There's a real tough balance to get and, and to keep it all social um, is a tough thing. So you guys still able to enjoy games like that? Because I got to be honest, like when I went home over the break, uh, when I went home over, over Christmas break and everything, my family is always like, like a lot of families, you know, we, we pride ourselves on how vicious our games of um, categories uh, yep. get. Yeah. Uh, just like our, our like long, bellowing, definitional arguments and everything. But uh, 
you know, as I, as I was sitting there, I, I, I'm just sort of sitting back, and it's like, you know, I've changed so much as a gamer in these last few years that, like, I would so much rather be playing with this group of people a game like Ticket to Ride or something. Uh, right. I know, what, you know, I know that, like, what, it would take me 20 minutes to explain, and then we'd all be able to play it, like, as much as we want. And we'd have, I, I, I think, an even better, you know, even better experience. I, I find that those games... I don't know. I, I, I hate to just look down my nose at like an entire. But those are, but but Ticket to Ride. The difference between playing Ticket to Ride and Scattergories is like the difference between uh, going to a wine bar and sitting there and commenting on how much you love the nose of this Cabernet, and going and watching a football game and drinking beer. I mean, they are yes, they are both. Uh, they are both games. They are both played with groups of people. Uh, but there is nothing about Ticket to Ride that, in and of itself, will engender a lot of interaction between the players. Right? You can play Ticket to Ride and be mute and deaf and win. And there's no, there's nothing in that game that really makes you do anything with the people around you. Now, maybe but, you're but, just. But, a would, you, but for- would you like it? I mean, you might you might have win, but you enjoy playing it. No, 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 but 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 my point is, is that the game isn't doing anything to increase your social interaction there, and right. I mean, right. I have a sure. I have a regular game night here in my house, and I play with some very dear friends, and quite often we're having a fantastic time playing a game that is entirely non-interactive, like I don't know, like Agricola or something like that, where you're sort of heads down, but we're having conversations about twenty other things, and we're laughing and joking and all that stuff. The game takes forever, and the game just becomes the sort of context for this whole other activity a social game a true social game whether it's the resistance or uh, cash and guns even or pictionary or charades or anything along that whole spectrum actually forces people to interact in an interesting way and that's i think very very different so I don't know. I was I was just sort of thinking. You don't find like when you're playing a like, game like Ticket to Ride or something. The moment I'm in the room with other people, a lot of these, you know, a lot of like worker placement games, for instance, are sort of about like disguising your intentions, not letting someone know how badly you're depending on, you know, completing that rail line or grabbing that resource. And I, I find that that maybe is just even that, even that. If I'm playing with people I know, even that is just enough for me to start engaging with it on the social level, where it's like, okay, Zachney, really impassively play these four blue cards and complete that line from, you know, wherever to, you know, wherever in Ticket to Ride. Immediately, that, that, enough, that enough is for me to start, like, scrutinizing the other players and watching their faces. Like, is this a red herring rail line he's throwing out, or, uh, yeah. you know, have I just seen his plan? This whole second-guessing is kind of the essential component of social strategy game. And both the board at the PC level, it is, you know, what do they think I'm getting away with? I mean, Rob, after thinking about it, I think you're just a game snub. Okay. <laughs> I mean, t- I mean, it, 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 I mean there's I, a I lot of... I Ticket to Ride. Ticket no, I, I like game. Ticket to Ride, too. It's just when I'm playing at Christmas with people, I don't mind playing... I don't want to sit down all the time and play party social games, but sometimes you're just playing with people who don't want to be one move ahead, right? They're happy to have a glass of wine and be a move behind, and <clears throat> and and that's fine. I mean, we could all probably talk about how we like Community, the sitcom, <laughs> but more people watch Two and a Half Men. Right. Sometimes people want something subtle and something they want it overt. Well, hang on, though. I, I think you're also overlooking there. Sometimes people are just wrong and they, they just haven't <laughs> been exposed to enough good things. Uh, to, and to, that's to, true. But I mean, my my cousin, who's much younger than I am, she's a teenager and was out and my daughter, who's 13. And we played uh, Scattergories the other day because my cousin's not a gamer. Uh, well, no, that's not true. We started playing some games later, but it was just like people just wanted to sit back and do something interesting for like 20 minutes and not Watch not TV. think. Right. And that was really hard for me because I, you know, I got my job designing games. I'm like, I wanted games that engage people's brain because that's what I like. And it's so hard to realize that some people go to play a game when they want to stop thinking. And, you know, they flick birds at pigs. Something I, I, I should say also is I wasn't playing classic categories. I was playing some sort of remade categories. Uh, that was actually much simpler. You are a game um, snob. Oh my god, now we're, now we're wait, parsing no, I'm, I'm variations. Kind of, I'm kind of curious what the difference is and whether I was around when it was redone. So. God, so I... I mean, the rules were so insipid, I, I've almost blocked them from my brain. <laughs> okay, but, never mind. We'll, so, we'll let that one no, rest. So, so what it is is... Right, so you have classic categories, you have all those different categories, and then you have a letter for each round. You know, like, so it's going to be these categories, you have a letter, and then you write uh, words yeah. down that begin with that letter that fit these categories. And the action, the, the fight that happens is whether or not the, these replies you're getting are valid. Um, but with this one... 
I feel like uh, it was you would get you would get a topic uh, that would and then you would just have to write as many words down as possible that I think relate to that topic. Um, and what you got for letters was, I want to say, like uh, the 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 first and last letter of the uh, uh, of the topic word, or, or something like that. It was it it was a very weird. Uh, I have no idea. I, I I'd never seen it before, and I will never play it again. It was like you you tried to make a simple game even simpler, and uh, yeah, I don't know what that is. And I you know if it came out recently, it was when I was working at Hasbro, but. Um, no, I mean the. It, now we're gonna get into the what makes categories good. That's special episode of three moves ahead. No, no. <laughs> There's two things because I was just talking about this last week. One is the mental whiplash you go between categories. So it's like, oh, I need a car that begins with W, and now I need a, a food that begins with W, and so your head kind of like goes all over the place. While there's a deliberately loud grading timer. So it's like the you know like yes oh, it get it, it gets on your nerves on purpose, and I don't know if the, I, it's intentional. I enjoy it for the social anxiety it causes. I can see how people hate it though. <laughs> yeah, it's the same reason I can't play chess with the timer. Like I, I'm crap at speed chess because the sound of the timer, uh, like nearly, you know they make them silent. Sense. Yeah, but then it's not then it doesn't count. But then but you still know it's there. So. With, with games like that, uh, there, one other game I wanted to actually ask you guys about because uh, I'm sure we've all played it, and it's uh, it, it's it's people a lot of people playing it right now is Cards Against Humanity, yeah. right. Uh, right? Which again I think sort of fits this mold of uh, yeah, like as game design goes, I'm I'm, I'm not sure there really is much there, uh, and it's really just an excuse to pile as much ridiculous shit next to each other as possible and get everyone like you know drunk and happy in the room. Um, yeah, you know, it's funny. I think that's about all I played at Gen Con last year. <laughs> was cards get you mad? Well, I was leaving my job and I was going around during the day canvassing for new work. So I was having like eight hour job interviews. Uh, and I would get to the end of the night and I would be so tired. I couldn't engage with anything more complicated than, you know, making all sorts of sexual innuendo jokes. Right. And I was fine with that. Uh, but you're right. It's, it's absolutely just a social experience around I mean, it's just a dirty apples to apples, and, right. and brilliant for them for thinking of it. Well, Cards Against Humanity described me as a friend as um, the ultimate improv experience. This is where you have improv people just putting weird things together in the proper improv way. Um, is it really a party game as much as a dirty mind game? Well, I mean, it's a, it's a party game in that you can get an awful lot of people playing it laughing hysterically and getting drunk, which seems like a good definition yeah, of a party I mean, game I, to me. I haven't played. I want, I want, I'm waiting for a reprint, so I'm, just gonna, I'm kind of curious how this fits into the... Who is this for? Uh, where does it fit? Terrible people. Is that what it, it says it on the box? Yes, it does. A card uh, game for, for terrible, terrible people. people. Well, we're, everyone is everyone's terrible. <laughs> oh, no, I you hate, can actually hate, offend people I with this game. I hate all of you. Yeah, no, there's there's certain like four or five cards that I think people say like you got to take those out because if they're in there, someone's getting up from the table. Oh wow! It, like, yeah. Oh yeah, no, uh, there are there are some there are some real winners, and some of the expansions go even a little further. The Christmas deck, you really got to be careful with. <clears throat> but I will say, like I, my my regard for it increased a little bit uh, one evening when I was watching when I was playing it with a bunch of people. Um, I, I was I was I was hanging out with uh, the Idle Thumbs guys uh, one evening for their for their board game night, and I watched uh, our our friend Chris Remo just go on a tear at this game. Like everyone else is just drunk and having a good time and having you know laughs about uh, you know foul things you can have uh, uh, Glenn Beck do to uh, anything. Yeah. So it's just like doing horrible things to Glenn Beck and vice versa, and everyone else is playing that game, but. You know, watching Chris Remo play, he had this weird like sixth sense for exactly what the what the person you know because the mechanic is you the there's one person choosing which is the best response, right? And he was like, look, he was able to after a couple rounds of this game and seeing what they played before, he was starting to figure out okay, so for this person, this is going to be the type of response they like, and so like round after round, Remo was winning because he had this uncanny sense for guessing exactly what particular brand of foulness uh, <laughs> that the, the current uh, you know person was going to select. Well, no, but that's really the definition. That's heart, the, the point of the game. That, well, but that's the heart of what we're talking about this, which is it is purely a subjective vote 
So playing the person and saying, I know this person isn't going to like the sexual innuendo, but they always crack up at the drinking innuendo or what level is, is absolutely the heart of what we're talking about here. I always lose it. Um, cards against humanity. Cause I just put down the one that makes me laugh. Yeah, enough. exactly. That's what is sure. how I play it too. And then I'm like, Oh wait, no, that was the wrong card for this person. One thing that, you know, I, I've sort of been thinking about as, as I think about this topic is, you know, we, in, you know, just over the course of this episode, we started calling them like social games. Uh, you know, and they are they're 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 games about people interacting with people. And yet, what I find maybe maybe you guys maybe Julian and, and Troy like maybe you know of more of this that exists on tablets, for instance. But I do find that like uh, certainly there aren't a lot of. You know, despite multiplayer being fairly easy to get into, uh, you know, with a connected PC and everything, uh, there certainly aren't a lot of games that seem to encourage uh, this kind of, uh, you know, talking and chatting with people and getting them, you know, getting, uh, making uh, personal interaction a cornerstone of, uh, you know, strategy. No, uh, no a game there, I mean, it's it really what you've got is you've got competitive strategy games where communication is important right so like league of legends or any dota or you know any first person shooter where you're playing in the team right those have a social component but the the interaction is effectively purely strategic uh you know unless you're just happen to be playing with a bunch of friends and you don't care and you're just using the game as a thing to do while you're having a conversation which is fine um mmos you know particularly ccps eve online right that's a case where the meta game the social game uh is actually probably more important than anything that goes on inside the game engine itself right that's a game about negotiation and backstabbing and diplomacy and economics which only marginally happen in game and most of it happens x game and then just gets implemented in the game um and you know that's probably the closest equivalent to a some sort of long-running multi-thousand person version of diplomacy that i think anybody's come up with yet uh, but other than that you know certainly the kind of lighter social stuff that we're talking about doesn't I, I don't i think it's very hard to do that online because the social thing we're talking about is kind of an in-person thing watching something i mean how, what was, how many experiences do you have online that make you laugh literally out loud a day not all that many well the cute kittens yeah i mean <laughs> the cheeseburger network man yeah I don't know. <laughs> that, that that grumpy that's not cat a social interaction that's just comedy oh well, i really do like the grumpy cat again <laughs> against all my expectations i crack up every time i see it anyway oh, good lord well, but it, I mean, doesn't it also seem like this is? I keep thinking about like, how the hell did we not see a ton of Facebook games come out that sort of work in this vein? You know, like like how do we not how do we not see more games about like bringing your 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 social network together for you know it doesn't even have to be that sophisticated, but just just some kind of. Uh, just some kind is some kind of collective play experience where you're doing more than, uh, you know, vi- like basically uh, playing an interactive Ponzi scheme. <laughs> Come visit my farm and I'll visit yours. I, I I don't know. I mean, I don't know if it tried and failed or people didn't necessarily want that. I always felt a little violated when you know people wanted me to come visit their pretend farm. But I, <laughs> um, but I'm wondering if you expanded that if like somehow I got. Just because I'm on Facebook, I got pulled into a giant game with people. It might be like I don't want to. I don't want to play this right now. Yeah, you do. Yeah, but I, I don't know. I'm really guessing because you're right. It seems like it would be. I mean, it's, it has social in it, but I'm not really sure how social it is. It's an interesting point. I don't have an answer for you. How's that? Yeah, I, I just, I, I find it, I find it surprising given that. Uh, Basically, I'm looking to Julian to explain what happened there because I remember three years yeah. ago on the show you were like, "This is the future." I still think I still think there's opportunity. I think that the part of the problem is that the business model behind most of these games doesn't lend itself to a sort of more party like experience. I think the traditional MMOs actually do do that. I mean, most people who have regular big social interactions with a group of people where you know they get together with 10 friends and go do something and you know get on skype to do it they're doing that in mmos for the most part right the strategy games that people like are either mobas where you're talking to four of your closest friends 
or they're things like StarCraft where you're talking to one or two of your closest friends. Um, and, and they're not particularly, the, the games themselves don't engender that kind of social interaction. There's no sort of deceit and backstabbing, at least not intentionally. Um, there's not really any diplomacy. Um, so, you know, what you guys were talking about with, uh, you know, Eagles is the closest thing I've heard to something that brings that to the party in a long time. I, I, I don't, I'm not sure there's a natural fit there for Facebook. No, no, perhaps not. But I, I do think it's... It, it seems like the, it seems like a bit of a missed trick, and and perhaps it requires a bit of a uh, uh, sort of a recalculation of of what your what your goals are as, as you make games in the space. Uh, because certainly it seems like a lot of social games kind of had this uh, fishing trawler approach to getting players involved. You know, basically yep, yes. you put your nets down and you just try to sweep as many as possible. But what you end up with then are really dead simple, almost non-existent social interactions. You know, they're phony social interactions because what you want is millions of people playing, not a bunch of groups of five or six friends. Right. And I kind of feel like the, 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 the trick that's been missed a little bit is finding a way to combine uh, sort of the, you know, the, the lightness and casualness of a lot of these more social board game experiences and then creating a portal where it's really easy to get a lot of people, you know, involved in these games really quickly and having those, those, those experiences, but via their PC, via the internet. And I, I'm just not sure I've seen that niche filled or even well, you know, that many attempts I, at it. I, I, this is somewhat blasphemous, but maybe every human social interaction doesn't translate to the web. I mean, oh, I'll pretend you didn't say that. <laughs> Actually, Rob, I, one thing that I was thinking of um, is I'm wondering if the base experience of Facebook itself with commenting and liking kind of scratches that itch for a lot of people. I mean, in a very, very superficial way, like I, I do play a game when I go on Facebook because I see someone wrote something and then someone wrote a funny reply and then I try to up that reply and then someone likes it. You know, like you get these little mini scrums of interaction. Yeah. That so are more Twitter. It's Twitter that does this. It, it Twitter, Twitter does this, which is like everyone builds off it and you get this joke and it kind of blossoms and goes away after an hour. And that felt like we almost played a who's funnier that's game. not a that's not a strategy game though. It that's is a, not a strategy game, but it, it is a social. But I, I understand I understand your point there, Rob. Like I mean, I I, I think I'm gr- I'm grasping. You know what I mean? No, but I'm like wondering. There, there's no no victory. It's, but it's it's a pecking order. So that's a social playground pecking order stuff. Well, yeah, but uh, no, I don't think it's just that though. Like it's all it's all a game of yeah. Um, what's uh, what well, charades? It's charades where yeah. you want to go up and be the one who does the clever thing, and uh, but charades is an answer to it. If you're doing it on Facebook and Twitter for applause, that's not an answer. That's not our victory condition. That's not a game. That's a. I, d- I didn't say that, it was a game. I'm saying I'm wondering no, if it's but, scratching the itch of, of sure, having social but, interactions right, where people feel absolutely. like but, but, they but, don't but, need uh, it. Right, but it's, it's a performance in place of it's a performance in place of a game. How's that? Right, but 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 it replaces the game. That's that's the point. Is that you're not seeing a lot of people. I don't think maybe people don't feel that drive to play games like that because a lot of your interaction on the web is just sort of filling that same that same social social interaction vibe. Um, I'm not. I'm not sure. I think that's. I don't think that's the itch that web interaction is scratching. I think that's scratching general social itches of for people who did not have that or who don't have that an increasingly increasingly disconnected social world i mean many of my college friends are scattered to the winds so we turn to twitter for these other worlds so i don't think that fits this game victory condition no and i'm strategy. not saying it i'm not saying it does i'm not implying that i'm not saying it is a game i'm just saying why you don't see more games with intense social interaction on social networks is I'm wondering if the games have to differentiate themselves because people are already getting social yeah, interaction right. I mean, on social I, networks. I, I, think, I think they're very different. I think that the social interaction from a social network is different from a game social network. Yeah, absolutely. But basically, basically, I think I just want a Facebook for people like me that's basically game table online. And that's exactly that's really yeah, like well, if I just like delete the Facebook account and then I just go to a social network where everyone is just like hanging out and instead of being like, hey, come visit, you know, let, let's let's be a gang or let's or come visit my farm. It's like, hey, come visit my, two, you know, a few acres of snow. But <laughs> but but that is there just very poorly implemented. Right. I mean, it's well, through it's, it's through places like Brett Spiel, which is a terrible social network, but it's there if you visit it. Says that the, some networks are just so intrusive. I mean, Facebook is very intrusive, whereas others are not. 
so some are in your face, and some you have to work to find. Um, which is how board games have always been. It's not like I was in college, you know, having board games shoved in my face, right? I mean, you'd be to look for that shit, right? Uh, so I, I feel like we're getting a little too crystal bally and uh, <laughs> prognostication, and as Julian can attest, uh, you're, that's a good way to look silly down the road. Because uh, <laughs> I, 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 I've been wanting to like prophesize the future of social gaming for about 20 minutes, and that's usually the signal I need to sit down. And yeah. Uh, but before we before we do go though, uh, we should observing that uh, I think in this last week we actually lost the uh, designer of diplomacy. Yes. Yes. Uh, Alan Kalmer. Alan Kalmer. Kalmer. Um, he never made enough money off the game to, uh, to you know, sustain his, his living. He was a postman, I think. He was. Um, he was a postman. Yeah. Still, he kind of did something revolutionary. He just kind of came out and did this pure social game. Uh, I'd always heard that it was very popular in the Kennedy White House. Alan Kalmer's game was... Um, Especially got a lot of recognition through the Nixon White House, actually, through um, Kissinger. It was one of his uh, great favorite games. Um, and uh, I think Diplomacy stands as one of the purest strategy games ever made. There's there's no randomness. It's all about calculation and what you can get away with, yep. with other people at the time. It lent itself very purely uh, to play by email and play by snail mail, which uh, Bruce Garrick, one of our panelists, uh, engaged in quite heavily back in the 1930s. Uh, <laughs> probably 1980s, but whatever. Uh, and uh, Diplomacy is, I think, one of the er games. It is You can't think of computer strategy, but think of Diplomacy. It is a game that stands alone and separate as something you have diplomacy and you have risk. I wrote a blog post many years ago that these are the two axes of uh, computer computer strategy games. You have diplomacy which is all about calculation and planning and uh, interaction. And you have risk which is in many ways dependent on randomness and how much to give yourself the chance uh, which has been thrown a bit apart through Hasbro's and Davio's innovations in recent years, but largely it's the it's a diplomacy risk axis, which is where strategy games, all strategy games, uh, from the 1970s on have fallen. And uh, Calamer's innovations and pioneering work cannot be ignored. Yeah. and I you know I never realized until now that they both came out of the late 50s, so both both risk and diplomacy. Yeah. Oh. And on that note, uh, I think we will call it an episode. I'd like to thank our producer, Michael Hermes, for putting this episode together, and uh, all of you guys for listening, and of course my panel for joining me on a Saturday afternoon. Uh, Until next week, when I will hopefully pull another topic uh, out of the ether, uh, this has been Three Moves Ahead. Good night. Night, all. Good night. Thank you.